This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is... You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Match Report. I'm your host, Chris Hambling, and I'm joined by a trio of Patrick, Mike and Nick to discuss a very entertaining 3-2 home victory against Villa, which saw us come from behind twice to end up taking all three points. Join us right after this. The Match Report. Sponsored by Pitch Sport. Available to download on the App Store and Google Play. PitchDMM.com Alexa, play Back of the Nest podcast. Playing Back of the Nest, CPFC podcast. From Amazon Music. Back of the Nest, now on your Alexa device and Amazon Music. Okay, Mike, Patrick, Nick, uh, three of you this week because we're coming to the end of the season and trying to get some appearances in. Roy, take note. You can you can blood the uh, the fringe players uh, as much as you like towards the end of the season, and um, yeah, give them give them some minutes, get their form up. This is how you work. Um, Which one of us is the fringe players in there? <laughs> I'll let you decide. Me, for sure. uh, Cheers. But, yeah, good to have. Yeah, and. Uh, and the ever-quiet Nick. So uh, just a quick hello to everybody. Hello, Nick. How you doing? All right? Yeah, great. Thanks. Good to have you on, mate. Patrick, fresh from the watch-along. How was that with DR? It was uh, a tale of two halves, really. It was a lot of, it was d- desperately poor in the first, but it was great, great ending. And DR's always great fun to work with. It really is. Yeah, that's not what you were saying before we hit record, <laughs> but okay, fair enough. Thank you. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, Mike, back as ever, and you—you uh, you did plenty of work on the show, docs. I'll be leaning on you heavily um, due to me, frankly, struggling for interest uh, as the season comes to an end. However, today was a very different story. Today, at the time of recording, obviously, probably not at the time of listening, but uh, a good win for Palace, and um, you know, I think we could say uh, a pretty abject first half and a, and a decent second and um, something of a tonic for us all, I think. But before we get into that, it's time for your Palace news from the week. And first up, it was a very cruel situation with the uh, the under-18s been doing tremendously, uh, but they've lost the title to Fulham on goal difference. Fulham, massive goal scorers in this league, 78 goals in 24 games with a goal difference of 53. Uh, and Palace, you know, good scorers themselves, 67 goals for, but 32 against. So they're, you know, 
18 goals behind. So, um, and that became critical in the end. And Patrick, I know you watched that deciding game where Fulham uh, took on Chelsea. And, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about how the eventual winners of that league, how good they are. Yeah, uh, it was streamed live yesterday on the Fulham's website. So I decided to watch it. And it was a good game in the beginning. Chelsea has a good academy, as we all know, but they haven't been performing that well this season. Fulham, to their credit, has been phenomenal this season. because they're really good players, and um, they won the game 3-0, ended up winning the title. Um, apparently, they've won it now back-to-back seasons, which is amazing, because, you know, it's a different group each year. It's not like it's the same t- set of players. I'm sure a few of them might have carried over, but not all of them. Um, great season by our under-18s. Under I mean, cr- credit to Paddy. We actually beat Fulham in the space of four weeks back in January to um, February. We beat them 4-1 at home and then 2-0 away. So we actually should have beaten them. If they had a new rule of a head-to-head, we actually would have won the league. But um, again, credit to all those players. You know, again, there's, uh, there's some players in there we need to look out for. Um, Adam Abilo, uh, the, the left back I like a lot. Raksaki, John Kamani Gordon, um, the the Boatengs. I mean, if I was a Palace supporter, and I am obviously, I'd definitely be uh, looking at uh, the future being quite bright. And of course, the, I forgot the, the number one player, David Omalabu, obviously. So there's a game tomorrow. Done 23 are playing tomorrow. And as, as we'll talk about the, the lineup uh, in a bit, um, we didn't have any academy players on our bench today in anticipation, I'm assuming, of tomorrow's playoff game or tomorrow as, a, as it's recording. So let's hope that we see a few of those players playing um, tomorrow. But Grin, shout out to the under-18s. Great season. Very proud of them. Really, really proud. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Just to add to that, seeing the actual new academy take shape, the future is looking bright and it's it's a rare bright bright spot for, for Mr. Parrish and co because for years they've talked about that being a big priority and it's good to see it come to fruition and you know with the academy not complete and we we just missing out on goal difference what we're going to be like next season we're going to piss it aren't we 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 are indeed and i suppose you know it won't as much as that academy is is taking tremendous shape we should feel very positive about it it won't be long 
one that's up and up and done that people will still be asking the question about where the new main stand is. But anyway, <laughs> um, <clears throat> you're quite right to, to be positive about that <laughs> for sure. Um, and, you know, mentioned there, Patrick, but Mike, obviously the under 23s um, in the uh, League Two Division Two playoff semi final. Who they got and um, what do you think? Yeah, so it's, it's Selhurst Monday night, Monday night under lights. Um, it's against Wolves. It's, uh, it's a one game playoff uh, semi uh, to obviously get into the playoff final. Um, so Academy founding members get in for free. Um, the, the moment they put the tickets up on the Palace website, they were saying, oh, limited numbers left. Went on there. I think that's stretching the truth a little bit. I won't lie to you. Um, <laughs> yeah, going with well, a few of us are there tomorrow. Uh, Terence will be there. A few of us going, um, taking advantage of the Cronks bar being open for the first time. Um, if you're not living in the UK, it's probably not quite as important, but pub's actually open again tomorrow. So that's a, that's a, it's a good reason to celebrate. Uh, yeah, we'll be there. Um, I think there'll be a, a fairly decent Palace contingent. Um, and it would, it's pretty exciting. I, I think um, Patrick's probably right. There's going to be some, uh, it's going to be a pretty academy-based side. You know, you're not going to find people coming back from injury playing tomorrow, I don't think. Um, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. But um, yeah, very excited for that. Absolutely right. And I suppose probably straight on to you as well for your um, your comments as CPFC women. Ouch. Um, what happened? Yeah, uh, very, very odd um, way that the season's been set up for um, the women's side this season, meaning that the FA Cup t- is taking place after the league has finished. And, you know, they put everything into uh, their finishing the league. You know, as you said before, ended up seventh strong end to the season. Um, had Arsenal in the FA Cup. Um, I think, if I remember rightly, knocked out London Bees last time to get to this, this stage. I mean, Arsenal are a very, very strong side, and uh, it was it was a nine nil hammering. Unfortunately, um, this, they, I mean, heavy, heavy beating. Um, they uh, the Twitter account ended up just saying, you know that. This lot are absolutely shattered. We're shattered from the league season, haven't recovered. And I think it's time to just have a summer's break. Um, sounds like that's the case. So, yeah, Arsenal march on. And, and uh, unfortunately, that's going to that's gonna take some scarring. 9-0, that's, uh, that's a big old defeat. That's the it is, the yeah. But obviously, uh, we've all seen 9-0s, well, a 9-0 for, uh, for the men's team in the not too distant past. I say it's not too distant past. Not for not for the likes of me and you, Patrick, and Nick as well. I forgot we've got a fellow fellow old boy on. Um, well, we've seen but, sevens uh, this season as well. Sevens so. this season, but the, uh, but the nines is... 1990, baby. God, dear. How many years ago is that now? That's, that's disturbing, 31. isn't it? Yeah, that that that's that's a full thirty one years yeah. ago, and I and I said not and I said not too long ago. <sighs> wow, <laughs> wow. Okay, I got I, yeah, same I need age to... as Diaz, Dad. To put it in perspective, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Right, okay. Let's move on and talk about the match: Crystal, Crystal Palace three, Aston Villa two, and um, yeah, it didn't quite go to plan. At first, I mean, you know, obviously, um, early goal, but uh, as, we, as we've been doing recently, and uh, but but yeah, sorry, um, an, an early goal from Villa this time, but then pegged back uh, relatively well with another Benteke goal. Um, but it was weird, wasn't it, guys? I mean, the, you know, the, the pattern of the game was extremely odd in the first half. We 
you know, we started very passively and quite rightly got punished. And then, you know, kind of, I don't know, if, I, I, I feel it was a case more of Villa dropping off than the necessary Palace, you know, ramping things up, but definitely more energy towards the end of, you know, towards the middle of the half after going down. But as soon as we got a goal ahead, just took the foot off the gas again. And um, it was only really a, a dramatic change in tempo in the second half that changed things around and still left you wondering, why don't we start games with that that tempo? Why can't we maintain that degree of, uh, of intensity throughout the course of a game. And maybe we'd be doing a lot better than we, we have done of late. But uh, before we get into the, the ins and outs of that, obviously let's talk a little bit about the lineup and I'll start with you, Patrick, because we've talked about keepers a fair amount over the years <laughs> and a um, bit of an oddity in terms of the keepers in the, in this one. So Jack Butland, understandably, you know, we t- we've talked about it on the podcast before talking about the watch longs. Why not give him a shout? You know, this point in the season, no, no problem with him getting his, uh, his league debut for Palace. Uh, but interestingly, two keepers named on the bench, including our old friend, Wayne Hennessy. What was your, your thoughts on that? I was shocked. <laughs> I really was. I mean, I have a West Ham supporting person, a friend, so I say in person, friend who says that they do that every game. They, they name two keepers. I've never seen it before. I don't follow, you know, other teams' lines when they post them. But to, to, to name Hennessy and Guaita was, was was bizarre. And again, I know we spoke earlier about, you know, there's an important academy game tomorrow. But as I was telling you on the watch long, we're not going to have 24 players or 30 players on the bench tomorrow. So why not? You could have named a fringe um, uh, academy player on the bench. We normally wasn't getting in the game, but I don't understand why there wasn't one. To have two keepers was very strange. I mean, I know obviously Luca must have been, I'm, I'm assuming he's injured her or for some personal reasons. PVA apparently the same thing, personal reasons. So I get why there weren't more senior players on the bench, but to name two keepers and then not even someone on, which is even, which is, which is bizarre, was weird. But again, Butler deserved to start and I have no problem with that. The lineup in general, my only concern honestly was, was McCarthy. I, I'm going to keep saying over, I don't know what James McCarthy what he brings. I thought he was a like a rough houser, boxer, box like midfielder. He kicked players like Ward Prowse around or others like that. He's never done that for us. And I don't know what he does. And on that first goal, he was at fault for it. So, or maybe it was the second goal. One of the game goals he turned his back on. So, but that aside, I thought Lionel was fine. Really happy to see Mitchell start. Love Mitchell. Tompkins starting would have been too much, I think, but he came on at least. And that was good because he needs to get some minutes in. Um, and Ben Teke had to start. I mean, I would like to see JP play today, but again, I don't know what's going on with him. But overall, the only issue I really had was the uh, McCarthy start. Everything else I had, honestly was fine. And formation-wise, I don't know if it was a 4-3-3 or 4-5-1. It was a bit bizarre, but we just came out really passively regardless. And I'm, you know, I get the win was great, but it was a very weird start. First three minutes were very, very poor for us. Yeah, for sure. And when you talk about whether it was a 4-3-3 or 4-5-1, I think a lot of that comes from just how passively we did play in in the first half. It certainly wasn't, you know, you certainly didn't see the wide players in, in too advanced a position. They were they were covering back a lot. You know, Villa, obviously, you've got to give credit to the opposition at times. Villa did sort of come out of the blocks relatively quickly as well. Didn't let us, you know, have any real time on the ball. And that is the way to play against Palace. It, it seems to get us every time. Um, I mean, you know, I, I do want to move on relatively quickly, but uh, I do want to give an opportunity perhaps for um, for, for Nick or, or Mike to, to give a comment on the the double keeper bench situation. It, it seemed, you know, we, we've won the game and we will be talking about some positives here, but it does seem like a really odd thing to do. As Patrick said, a fringe outfield player, one who's not even going to make the squad. It, it just, it seems like an utter waste and, and really kind of, Again, negative thinking, not thinking about the future. 
Um, you know, what is the point? What is the possible reason? See, I think it is for the future. This is going to go down in folklore. Hennessy's last interaction with Palace to be one of two keepers on the bench. Absolutely perfect. <laughs> um, so, sums up his tenure. Exactly what we needed. Good on Roy. <laughs> Nick? There, there was some talk that he'd come on if we got a penalty, which I thought was quite funny, judging by his last effort. But um, <laughs> looking at Roy Hodgson's post-match comments, he <laughs> looking at Hodgson's post-match comments, he said uh, the only reason we had an extra goalkeeper is Wayne had misfortune to pick up a very bad injury plan for Wales. He's been outside of being in a place of contention for the team for a long time. In the last six weeks, he's worked really hard to get into form. So it was nice today to be able to say to him, look, we've only got 19 players available and there's 20 spots. Hmm. Would you be interested in taking part? And he jumps at the opportunity. I've got to say one thing about Wayne Hennessy. He's a fantastic club man, whether he's playing or being a sub. So... We only had 19 players and he was the 20th. So, Mike, you've picked out that um, Jeff Schlupp and, uh, and Wilfred Zaha started on the same side of the pitch. Obviously, Schlupp playing more centrally as he has been doing, which, again, not a massive fan of him as a central midfielder. But I am a massive fan of him being in the side. And, you know, I'm not really noticing the deficiencies like I used to. Uh, I suppose when I was looking at him being picked ahead of Max Mayer or, or you know, playing alongside someone of the class of Kabai where it stick out like a sore thumb that he's not a central midfielder. But linking up with Zaha on that side, how, what were your thoughts on that? You're questioning whether it was effective or not? Um, no, I don't think I'm questioning whether it was effective. Um, uh, there's a stat that came out after the game on Twitter um, and I'm all for regurgitating stats from Twitter without checking whether they're accurate or not. Um, that said that Schlupp and Mitchell uh, starting this season, they've started together eight times. We've won six of them and drawn twice. Um, so there's got to be some kind of strength down that left-hand side with them two working together. But, you know, the thought of the pace and the crosses of Schlupp um, along with Zahar, I mean, that's that's a pretty powerful combination. And it, it's great to see. I think Villa stifled it very well. Um, they frustrated Zaha a lot. But as the second half got stretched, uh, Zaha did his thing, you know, sort of flicking the ball around between his feet in the box became, in the second half, became quite a common instance. But in the first half, they, they pretty much had the better of them. Um, but, you know, Villa are a really decent side. Um, they don't concede as many goals as you'd think they would. Um, and I think Palace had to work pretty hard to get past them. So well, I think we need to see more of it. Um, guarantee we won't, but um, I'd like to see more of it. If true, that's, that is ridiculous. That's half our wins we've got with Schlupp and Mitchell. There is absolutely no way that could be true. And if it's true, how can Hodgson doesn't see that and play them more often? Not? I mean, I know Schlupp's been injured and so have Mitchell, but if that's, that is true, then that is ridiculous. So fair play, Mike. Well done. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one to pick out. And, and, and it does, as you quite rightly said, Patrick... Yes, you know, Jeff Schlupp's been injured sometimes and, and absolutely Tyreek's had injuries as well. But many occasions where the, the two of them haven't been selected. <laughs> Indeed. Um, and, if that, and if that statistic is, as you say, is true, <laughs> uh, absolute madness and kind of vilification for us wondering what the hell that was all about. Exactly. Really. Um, uh, but we, how, how, much of that, how much of that do we have? We've had a lot of that this season, haven't we, of, of 
really not understand the match. We used to criticise Roy for picking Jeffrey Schlupp every week, and now he stops doing it. It's kind of like actually, you've now you've now dropped him at a point where where it was all working. You'd you'd stuck with him, proved us all wrong, and then you <laughs> right, know, exactly. Uh, honestly, madness. Go on, Nick. Well, he well Schlupp won the most tackles out of Palace players with mm. five. Interestingly, looking at these tackle stats, Cahill made no tackles attempted. It's uh, amazing. He didn't have a good uh, match. Today. A good match today. That's, yeah, that is a weird one as well. Mind you, in the first, no, but he, he was in the first half. He was probably our best forward player as well. Which he had not score, right? <laughs> but there you go. Um, so let's, um, yeah, exactly. Uh, go on, Nick. You again, unless you still really hand I hadn't actually stuff. put my hand back down. But it's, it was like the whole Kabai thing, isn't it? When mm. Kabai, you never know he's doing much, but God, didn't you miss him when he wasn't there? Mm. For sure. Yep. And still. Um, so a question has been asked all season and Edward Porter and uh, and Leif Anderson's forehead also asked the same question of us ahead of this show. And the question is, are we better without Luca? And Nick, I'm going to let you start to answer that one. Um, I've given my opinion on it millions of times and we'll do so again, I'm sure. But uh, what's your view? It's a bit of an enigma, Luca, because you, you've said it before that he became a bit of a scapegoat. And so people were always looking for the bad things. But the last few games, up until his penalty miss, where I think his confidence completely dropped, I didn't think he was doing too badly, to be honest. He was putting himself about, he was making some good searching passes, and he seemed to be geeing up the team a lot more than he did. It was certainly a lot more effective than McCarthy was today in past games. But but interestingly... um, and I know it's later on in the game, and Patrick mentioned it at half-time on the watch-along when we said, oh, what are you going to do in the second half? He said, well, I'd take McCarthy off, bring on Tompkins and move Kuwati into the midfield. And actually, Kuwati was a lot better than Luca or uh, McCarthy would have been. It, yeah. Uh, because in, you didn't have Kuwati wandering out of position. Tompkins was keeping his position. And actually, Kuwati was a bit of a threat going forward. So, um, yeah, so... Kuwati for Luca. Yeah, Nick. First, thanks for watching the watch along, and uh, and two, thanks for pointing out that you are correct. I did say that at halftime, and I'm glad you heard that. And I'm really glad that Hodgson obviously heard it because that's why he did it. Because there's no reason why he would do that change unless he was watching the watch along. So fair play to our wonderful manager. <laughs> I've often Absolutely. wondered why they have little iPads in front of them during the game. They're obviously watching Hambo and DR or you and DR during the game to get some tips. <laughs> but um, I, I want to I want to pick something out there um, that, that we were, we were talking about, and um, I mean you've, you've touched on the sort of Kiate situation, um, which is an interesting one because a lot of people and myself included started to feel this way that. You know, he's kind of become a victim of, of being the most effective centre back earlier in the season and, and he's just been kept there. But for me, he's always offered a bit something a bit different in midfield. And he, and he's still, for me, a better midfielder than he is a centre back. And I suppose with Tompkins coming back to fitness, I suppose it's just it's a fitness thing, isn't it? I suppose, you know, we've we've had issues in picking a, a consistent centre back partnership throughout the season. But it, it does feel like you know, the longer the season has gone on, the less effective he's he's been as a centre back, and the instincts aren't always there. Lots of people pointing out that he loses position on a regular basis, and you know that might have been part of why we've struggled defensively so much this season. And we have, you know, we've as has picked up in the in the in the the notes for the show. You know, we've conceded our 60th and 61st goals this season, and um, you know, 
we've asked the question, why are we so fragile? And I honestly think it's got a lot to do with that, you know, inconsistency in selection, but also playing a, a player right out of position. And um, I do have a follow-up question on, on, on Luca uh, for you as well, Mike, but you want to jump in on that? Yeah, I mean, that is a, a huge amount of goals. But the reason we're having this discussion, the reason people are asking about Luca, I don't think we have an answer to the defensive midfielder problem. And I don't think we have since Joe and Kabai. Um, Luca in places, was, was that. Um, but in terms of comparing him with the strength of what we've got on the flanks and going forward at the moment, um, you know, all we really needed today was a, a really decent holding midfielder. And going forward, it was absolutely great. Um, and obviously, McCarthy is not that person. Luca might be, and I don't think Huati is. So it's more a case we probably need to strengthen in the summer than, than anything else. Not to say that any of those players necessarily shouldn't be given a contract, although I'm not too worried about McCarthy. No, and and on McCarthy, we you know people again talking about Luca. Do we miss him? Is it has he been the same player? And I've said you know a few times I think he's better in a three man midfield. He gets exposed for his lack of mobility in a two. I think that's the obvious answer as to why he struggled. But you know if you start looking at the fact that his replacement today, McCarthy, was getting similar questions yeah. about him and ended up being substituted, <laughs> it does it does kind of point to the system being more at fault than anything, doesn't it? It's a great, it's a great point. But there we go. Um, go yeah, Patrick. It's, a, it's a great point, and, and that's why at halftime I made a suggestion that I thought that Kuyate and you made the point, um, Hamba, about how he tackles like a, um, a defensive midfielder, which is why he struggles as a de- central defender. But I thought that the way he was playing today, he'd be much more suited. A couple of times you'll see, you saw that he actually was getting forward a lot from central defence, and I thought that that switch of um, Kuyate to central midfield would have been much better, and it worked, and it play, played out that way. So that was a good good switch. I just want to go back to what Mike mentioned before. I did a little research while I was sitting here, and Mike, that stat is correct by the way. Mitchell and Schlupp, we uh, together beat Southampton, Man United, Fulham, Sheffield United twice, and Villa, which is incredible. So yep, they have those times they played in the same time. We have won those six matches at least. I don't know about the, the draws, but yeah, that stat is true. So that's amazing. Well, Hodgson probably thought, well, you know, PVA basically does what both of those players do in one go. So let's just stick PVA on instead. <laughs> okay, a few other bits to, to pick out from, from the game. And um, well, I suppose let's start with the with the crosses situation. And uh, Mike, I know you put this one in the in the dock and, and I'll get some, some views from the other guys as well. But um, 24 crosses today. Um, the, the crossing has become more frequent of late and... The, the goal scoring from Christian Benteke has become more frequent of late. Um, wonder if those things are connected. What do you think? I mean, <laughs> I just want to start by saying I think there needs to be something online where people actually define how they came to count crosses because I don't remember 24 crosses, but um, it, was the, it was the only site I saw that was uh, giving stats on crosses. Um, it, came, it said five of them were accurate, which I think is more like it. Um, a lot of the balls that... Um, Townsend puts in are from quite a way out and they count as a cross. Uh, but yes, there's, there's, there's nothing uh, to say that it isn't more effective than for Benteke. And I'm sure it was really sweet for him today scoring against Villa. I know he loves Villa, but you could tell he was pretty happy when that header went in. And it was every bit as good as Alisson's header, by the way, before anyone debates that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yet to see that. I saw, saw that it happened, but yet to see it myself. 
Mm. Uh, Patrick, your your screen on, on my screen is bouncing up and down because you've got your hand up. Um, I'm finding it quite hypnotic. I will speak, but I, I'm, I apologize for the screen. I don't know why it's doing that. But um, uh, regarding the, the crosses of Benteke, I mean, it's, it's 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 been so frustrating as a Benteke supporter watching him be put out in matches and us not play Townsend and not play like Mitchell or Klein who can put balls into the box. And immediately as we started putting balls in, he started to score goals. He's got that three and three now. And to think that he was he was done was so premature because. But Penteke suffered from that really bad injury two seasons ago. I don't know if you guys watched that uh, that great rehab. They had it on the Palace website, the story of how he had to get over the injury. Everything was out for, I don't know, if it was like six months he was out for. It was really, really bad. And I always thought that if you gave that guy a supply, he would score goals. And, and I know moving Zaha up front, you know, kind of changed things around. But to play Schlupp through the middle and then, you know, get Townsend and keep players like Mitchell and Ward crossing balls just changed his whole thing. And I'm really glad he's doing well. I think we definitely have to try and resign him. I think he's playing for a contract. I think just playing where he can play once given service. And I really hope that we do the right thing and give him a contract for next season. It's good to see him hit that rich vein of form again. And I know we've all believed that it would come back. Um, I think you're right about the injury, Patrick. But what also did him up this season was when he got sent off against West Ham for two innocuous jumps where his arm went up. And it was one of the most ridiculous sendings off I've seen. Yeah, good point. But he, he just goes to the crossing. And I think that moves us on to Townsend because I think Townsend had one of his best games today. Um, he just seemed to be at it more. Do you know what I mean? And they, it's why has it taken this long to realise that if you cross it, we will score? I mean, that's always I've supported Palace well nearly as long as Patrick, and that <laughs> was always the way that Palace yeah. played. And we've got the perfect player in the centre uh, in. Uh, up front, uh, who was it remarked earlier? I think it was on Twitter or in our WhatsApp chat that actually we played more like a Big Sam team today than a Houston <laughs> team going forward. Yeah. Um, I don't know what you guys think about that. Well, that, that, I think that was Dio who suggested that uh, Hodgson has now done enough to get a new contract. So. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he he might he might have been feeling his. His little mischievous yeah, self, and he just he said, was. "He said it's, it's taken him four years, but Roy's now worked it all out, and we we should keep him on now." And um, yeah, I, I, I think he was trying to make Patrick irate slash make Patrick's head explode. <laughs> but um, but look, there's there's no let's not ignore the fact, you know, we we've we've already been you know we've been you know talking in relatively negative terms and even about the positive stuff so far, we've been kind of saying, well, you know, how did it take so long? And in, in you know, and in that theme, it, why did it take one nil down before we started playing with that urgency? But that's a question we've asked before this season. And I don't really think there's too, too easy an answer other than the fact that, you know, the players certainly play a part there. But for me, it's all about the message that goes to the players before they step out on the pitch. If they're always having to react, which often is the case, it suggests that the that they're not being correctly prepared for the match in some way, uh, which, which is a concern. But you know, we we got twenty three shots again. Shot count was really good. Corner count, I think, it was seven in the game, which was which was really positive. But you know, if we can focus before we move on any any further into the game, gents, on you know what was it? I mean, first half, you know, we did have that that positive moment of scoring the goal, and and, and the cross was excellent, uh, and and the finish 
just as good. Um, really, really positive. But that was really the bright spark in that first half. What happens in the second half? What was the difference? You know, what what was the message that came out to the players and how they started on the front foot so well? There was an urgency that reminded me of a few seasons ago when we got that like 98th minute equaliser at home against West Ham. Um, you know, Zahar looking menacing on the edge of the box. And because they had to put so much effort into looking after Wilf, it gave Eze a load of space in front of their 18-yard box that, that really made things tick. Um, and I don't think there's going to be that many teams. You, we can say that they gave more space, you know, like Sheffield United did the other week. Um, but I really don't think that's the case. You're being drawn left and right by Townsend having a good game, as Nick said. Wilf looking sharp after people criticised him. Um, it gives space for Eze to do his gliding, his, his gliding work. And just have four players like we did there um, constantly being a massive headache. You can't defend against that. So it only really took them stepping back a little bit after they went ahead for it to all start working. Um, and I really don't think there's too much magic to it. I don't, I don't think there was too many tactical differences. It's literally that we had four very menacing players on the pitch. And that doesn't happen that often. We've got them. They just don't tend to be on the pitch together. I'd like to add also, um, I thought their back four was very weak today. I, I actually mentioned uh, during talking to DR that, um, you know, they had Matty Target left back. They had El Mohamedy at right back. If you got El Mohamedy at Hull City, uh, Wilf had a tendency, ripped him a new one, I remember, one game. I think last game we seen we relegated them. And uh, today, um, Mings wasn't in the lineup. So they had, you know, they had, I think Hauser was, was in there for him. They had a, a young player. Ramsey in central midfield. So I mean, I thought their lineup was 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 there to be taken, and it took us a while to figure it out. But Mike Brightly points out once Eze and Zaha, you know, got to grips with the game, it was it was all over for, for Villa because they they really took over the game for us. Nick, anything to add on the uh, on on the reasons that Palace were able to be so different in that second half, and and what that tells you about you know how we approach the game in normal circumstances. It's, it's, it's hard to put your finger on it, isn't it? I mean, from halfway through the second half, the defence was shored up a bit more, I think, which which gave the rest of the team a bit more confidence, I think. Um, having Tompkins back in there, I don't know what minute he came on uh, as a sub, but that seemed to make a big difference, I think. Plus the fact that, you know, it's, it's taken all this time for Roy to realise that this uh, central, central attacking midfielder that we bought from QPR... His best position is central, central attacking midfielder. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, yeah. and, you know, Townsend was on form. You had Schlupp on the other wing. You didn't have Ayu, who, you know, is is a quality player. I, I know people slag him off, but he's good at running with the ball. He's good at drawing fouls. And he's, he, you know, is a good all-round player, but he doesn't stay on the wing and cross it. And because we concentrated on getting it out to the wings and crossing it, it did draw the players out, leaving Eze to kind of control the game. You know, I, I think that was one of Eze's best performances. And we actually looked like we wanted to do something, which almost suggests, you know, come on, it's the gaffer's last couple of games, let's go out and do something. What's really good about it is, you know, it's the third last game of the season, dead rubber, players on the beach. And actually, it was a bloody good game to watch which is really unusual for this time of the season when 
players are thinking about their holidays and whatever. So, yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, I'll be honest, you know, I've got to be upfront honest. I always am on these shows. I genuinely wanted to turn the game off at half time um, and do something else in my life. That's how bad I thought it yeah, was. Um, it was bad. But, but just, 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 yeah, but to see the response, and I, honestly, I wasn't on the watch along this week. I usually am, but I, I, I couldn't really do it this week. Didn't, didn't want to do it. Didn't have the, the motivation to do it. And I felt really sorry for, for yourself, Patrick and, and DR once more to go through that 45 minutes. But, you know, maybe maybe me missing out was a good thing because you got a good second half, um, and I'm sure that was uh, very refreshing to do. And um, I, I suppose I, I do want to talk. In, in, uh, there's one last question that's coming from Sam, but before I do that, um, Patrick, I want I want you to talk us through um, through Tyreek Mitchell's debut goal for Crystal Palace. How special that was, and and what it meant to him, and just what it means to Palace fans as well. To for for one of their own to come through and um, to get his goal like yeah, that. Yeah, firstly, you know, wonderful kid. I watched the interview after. Generally pleased for him. I mean, how could you not be? I heard apparently when he walked in a, in change room, they gave him a standing ovation or they clapped him in the team, which is fantastic to do. You know, good for him. He, he actually said, someone said to him, why are you even in the box? And I think the comment was, I fancy myself as a bit of a finisher, which is great for a left back. But for him to even be in that box at that point was 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 strange, but, you know, good for him. And then, you know, it's, it's a it's a clip to, I think Zaha hits a shot, kind of gets affected up in the air, Eze clips it in and then Tariq said hits him in the shoulder, which, you know, I guess that whole stupid handball rule, he could have been called handball, but it obviously with a shirt line, etc. it wasn't. But, you know, good for him. I mean, the kid deserved it. He had a great assist on the on the, on the Benteke goal. I'm a huge fan of his. He works, he really works hard. He defends well. He listens to, to people when they talk to him, like, you know, the, the, the back four. He's learning all the time. And again, he's an academy product. And it just has to, that's the kind of story that will get, you know, the younger players in the academy now you know, really looking to, to push on because you've seen a Tyree Mitchell come through and do so well this season. And then it's been a break this season for that kid. You've got to hope others will come through. But yeah, again, a, a quality, quality uh, performance by him today. I sent him a little, I sent him a, I, I tweeted to him today, congratulations on the goal because, you know, he's just a wonderful kid and I'm really happy for him. And, I'm, you know, a great goal for him. It's a great, it's a great story, you know his his journey into football, you know the, the the upbringing. Palace did a really good interview with him. It's still up there on Palace TV. I've if you haven't seen it, do check it out. During the lockdown, um, explains yeah. a little bit about his life. Yeah, yeah, yeah it just yeah, it just sort of gives you a real appreciation of of how hard he's had to work in life and seeing him get his rewards and seeing him get his first goal for Palace was just fantastic. And um, yeah, and and a, you know, okay, not a dazzling finish or anything like that but they all count and um and he'll remember that one for the rest of his life so um we had a message in from from sam and um sam was talking about the facts you know he's really his question is you know is, is the squad any good um and he's talked about the narrative between ourselves and others and said that we seem to feel that uh roy has been underachieving or he later corrected himself maybe performing in you know underwhelmingly uh, with a decent squad whilst others may seem that seem to think that Roy's been doing really well, but has been under-resourced by the club. And, you know, I, I don't want to speak for anybody else, and, and I'll obviously give the guys to, the opportunity to tell me if they think otherwise. But basically, you know, for me, I, I think there is an element of uh, of Roy not having, you know, the, the, the riches that you can have at Premier League level. But I can't get away from the fact that, 
you know, the type of football we've played, the, the intensity that we play with. And you look at the talent on display. We've talked about it already. You know, Mike said in, in particular, you know, four players today who gave Villa a really hard time, especially in the second half. If you can't, as a manager, find a way to get that level of talent playing effectively week in, week out, then to me, you're not doing your job well enough. And I've always said, you know, Roy is a tremendous manager in, in my view. Uh, historically in particular, but but even now, you know, he's a very strong manager. But the problem I have always had with him is his ability to react and change when something isn't going right. You know, Roy is very much a, the, the kind of manager who would just say, well, we'll keep plugging away with what we've got. And and I find that incredibly frustrating. And, and it does overshadow all the positive things he does do. And the players talk really positive about him, about him as a, you know, managing them and, and bringing them through as people as much as footballers. But to me, that's not enough. There's a fundamental thing going wrong and it's been wrong for a while. Yeah, so Sam said, uh, back in the seemed to feel that Roy's been underachieving with a decent squad. I don't think he's been underachieving. So it's 44 points. I mean, if we'd have lost today... Say we lost the last two, we we could still be on for our lowest points total in the Premier League. Um, but as it stands, we're not, and it's actually possible now we can get our highest, and that shows just how consistent it's been. Um, it's it's the fact that we've basically scored a goal a game, or you know, only slightly above that, with these players, with these players that we know could be some of the most entertaining footballers going forward in the Premier League. Obviously, there's a lot of players in the the teams in the top 10 that are special and, you know, our squad isn't as strong as theirs. But there's a lot of squads that are nowhere near as strong. And uh, as Patrick alluded to today, you know, Villa are doing good things, two places above us. They had a very average squad out today and they could only bring Grealish on for the last 20 minutes. Now he's recovering from injury. Um, It's, we've got a decent squad that could play some really entertaining football. He's got the points, but just in a way that I think we're all tired of. So it's not underachieving so much as boring the living shit out of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mike. See, this is the thing. I, I was, I've had the argument just... with people about... Sorry, Nick. I've had argument with people about Palace, f- you know, f- for months now. And what people want to look at is just the points total. But you can't do that. You've got to look at the eye test. I challenge anybody to watch this team play 36 matches. Look look what Hamble did. Hamble didn't want to watch the game today. Hamble's probably the biggest supporter, you know, around. He didn't want to watch the game today. You have to watch Palace week in, week out and suffer through it to really appreciate that we could be doing better. I don't care what people say about, about the squad not being this near and that. I think the squad is much better than it, than it, than it's, than it's shown and should be, should be at least where Everton is on 56 points, at least in eighth place, which is, you know, Trump, uh, right on that cusp of that, you know, conference league thing. But don't tell me we're doing great because we've got 44 points. That's that weird Palace mentality, that Palace mentality that I don't like. We should be much better than we're doing. And again, watch us every game and then tell me we should be doing better because we could be much better than this. So that eye test works better to me than looking at just at the table. Well, they, they proved 3-2 against Villa that they can play very entertaining football. Right. Um, so the fact that it's there, the fact that it sometimes comes to the surface, you just think, well, we, we can't concede any more goals by playing like that each game because we're conceding two a game as it is. So. Exactly. Nick, and, I know you uh, you wanted to speak there, guys. Yeah, that, that's the most frustrating thing, isn't it? Is that, all right, we know our defence is ropey, but we have got these attackive, 
attackive. I remember that word from years ago. We've got these attackive <laughs> players with great front legs. Um, <laughs> um, and we can play expansive football um, that is entertaining. Um, the only thing that was wrong with us today was a wobbly defence. I mean, look at their, their second goal. I mean, McCarthy uh, let McGinn just goes past him for that cross. He didn't even attempt to stop him crossing it. Um, Ward was went out of position. He lost his player completely. I mean, that's junior school stuff, isn't it? He was drawn towards the mm. ball rather than dropping back to see the player who was on his own. So, you know, you, you do wonder what they do in defending in training because all you see on Twitter is the goals. Um, what's annoying is that we are capable of much more. And as much as I was delighted with today's performance and the comeback, it actually made me more annoyed knowing that we can play like that, but we're just not consistent. Yep. And we've been in the Premier League, will it be our ninth season next season? Eighth? Eighth? Yeah. Ninth? Eighth? Isn't it eighth? We yeah, still no. haven't finished top half. <laughs> uh, maybe eighth then. Yeah. We're, we're, Feels we're, longer. <laughs> it does. we're kind of stagnant, and I hate to, to draw the old Kirbish League Charlton. No. I hate to draw the no. Kirbish League Charlton comparison and say, let's, let's, you know, we're, we're trying to wish for too much. But with our squad, we should be doing a lot better. And as um, as you alluded to, Chris, you've got to have watched all the games this season to see how pony it's been. And it's the inconsistency that does my head in. I'm sure it does everybody else's head in. Indeed. Well, and thank you, Nick, for uh, for your um, callbacks to to stuff in the past. Those those jokes there were very much for the purists that remember the time we used the word attackive, <laughs> and remember the time that I referred to players' back legs um, <laughs> like they had four legs instead of two. But thanks, thanks very much for the for those references there. Um, and we want to end this section by uh, we had a question in from uh, Daniel Schilling, uh, Days Pinhead on Twitter and his question is what's the best curry to have from an Indian restaurant now he has specified Indian there because um, I'm, I'm I'm one for, for curries from particular from Sri Lankan restaurants and um, uh, and recently had a very nice Thai curry that I've forgotten the name of what was it R- 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 yeah that's that's how I remember it as well it begins with an R anyway um, but it's so um, but what I would say is uh, if you do find uh, an Indian restaurant that's got a uh, South Indian food I recommend a, a Chetanadu. Um, yeah, really very strongly peppery, not too overpowering. Um, and I did have a fall uh, at the start of lockdown and had diarrhea for two weeks. So if you fancy that, by all means, go for it. Um, Mike, you, you're up next. What's your favourite Indian curry? This is timely because people can actually go in and get them as of tomorrow, can't they? Um, I, I usually go boring and get a Vindaloo, but I, I, you know, I, I think like you, I, Bangladeshi cuisine... South Indian particularly, uh, and then there's some Nepalese ones near me that are nice. Uh, vegetable naga's always good as well. Um, it, it, for me, it's what sundries you get with it, really, to be honest, Daniel. I think it's, it's the bigger package than just the curry. Hmm. Nick, what's your favourite? Well, I, I I like going for a taka dal because it's like a normal dal, but otter. I cannot believe you used this as an excuse to roll out that ridiculous <laughs> pun, and I'm never going to forgive you. No, uh, I like a lamb gel phrasey. Can't beat it. Mm, yeah, yeah, agreed. Gel phrasey is a great one. Uh, Patrick, you got a favourite Indian curry? Um, I don't like um, spicy food, so I, don't, I haven't had curry in years, so that would be a no, sorry. 
Oh, Patrick, I'm really sorry about that. I mean, I have a real problem trusting people who don't like spicy food. Oh uh, and I didn't know that about sorry. you. Um, worried. Very, very worried. Um, Nick, you have something else to say? The best Indian food I've ever had, actually, was in San Francisco. I was out there years and years ago, 2000. And the best curry I ever had was actually on a pizza. It was an Indian pizza, and it was the the best tasting curry I've ever had. Bizarre. I'm... I am. That is an incredibly confusing set of words you've just said there, and I'm going to move on from them. Um, so yeah, that you, mu- is you must the, have been yeah. smoking something before that. Um, hundred percent. He was high I as a kite. It was San Francisco. <laughs> somebody else was. <laughs> oh dear, I felt there. Yeah, anyway, I'm not going to. I'm not going to say any more on that uh, about Nick's general mental state. But well done, well done indeed. My best, the best curry you ever had was a curry on a pizza in San Francisco. I mean, I mean, it sounds nice. I mean, the idea of having pizza right now sounds. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to move on, and um, yeah, we're just going to have a, a quick look ahead to the Arsenal game. Of course, uh, at the time of recording, recording this on the Sunday, um, and it'll be on the Wednesday that we play Arsenal before the preview guys get a chance to talk about it. So we're just going to have a quick look ahead to the game and um and that'll pretty much be your lot after that so gents arsenal very much in uh in pre- well in a lot better form than they have been for a while really starting to put some some good results together seems to be playing relatively well arteta went through a very very tough period maybe still has some detractors there but um you know it's certainly going to be a tough game but one that the fans are being invited back for um, you know, not going myself, uh, partly because I went to the Spurs game and experienced that, but partly because, you know, frankly, um, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll admit I'm not too keen on um, watching Roy Hodgson's football anymore and didn't feel motivated to go and get a ticket and still don't even after we beat Villa today. But give everybody else an opportunity. But the tickets are still available, Mike, I believe. I heard that there was 400 before the game's um, against Villa, I'd imagine they've probably gone now because people would have been inspired by that. What was a very good game today, and I don't think we've said that enough. We were absolutely excellent, so I reckon they'd have probably gone. But I can't wait. I'm itching to get back to Sellers. I was almost going to get tickets for the game on Monday night, the under-23s, but I didn't want to spoil going back to Sellers for a, a Premier League game. Um you mentioned Arsenal are doing well. Yeah, they might make it to 10th if they're lucky, mightn't they? The way they're going. Um, it'll be <laughs> good to see if Roy, Roy tries to play the expansive stuff again um, because that's the way you're going to beat them. Uh, and it's been a few years since they've beaten us, hasn't it? 2018. Um, doesn't feel that way. Yeah, I mean, there was, what was it, the three, they scored three quick, I can't yeah, remember four, now. Four, oh, I remember one. we picked that one back to 2-2 two, two was the one I was thinking of, but they smashed just 4-1, four, one, four, one. They, and they scored all four before half-time, yeah? Yep, Monreal, Monreal, it? Irobi, Cristiano, well, like I said. It was a tough yeah, one to watch. It was a tough, awful game. Yep. Yeah, there you go. Um, I mean, so look, we've we've heard from Nick. Um, obviously, Patrick, you won't be going to the game given that you're thousands of miles away. Um, but what do we think? Do we think that the, the slow ticket sales are because people are fed up with Roy, or do we think people are still a little bit worried about COVID and, and going into a crowd for for a football match? Don't think we struggle to sell the, uh, the the Spurs tickets. Yeah, um, I don't think it's the COVID thing. Um. I, I watched I, the FA Cup final yesterday. It was fantastic to see fans back at Wembley yesterday. And I, I'm telling you right now, football's not football without the fans. So I think people, I think they're more like you, Hamber. I think it's more 
they don't want to deal with Hodgson football right now. And but I'm, you know, I, I'd be with Nick if I was there. As much as I really, really do not like Roy Hodgson, I'd try to go to go if I could because the fact that I, you know, going to Selhurst is 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 just an experience that you know I've I've loved since I was a child. So. Um, Again, I don't know how we're going to do. Um, unfortunately, for some reason, I don't know why, they televised every match over here, but that game's not on TV over here, which is very, very strange. Um, I don't know if because there's a bigger match during the same window, but for some reason, that game's not on TV, so I won't be able to even watch it, which won't, won't be terrible, I guess, because I think we're probably going to lose the game anyway. So, It's not on TV because it's on at a very strange time, so... Um... But UK times, we've got games on at 6 and then 8.15, but the Palace-Arsenal game is right in the middle at 7 o'clock. And I think that is another reason why um, people will people that are back at work, that's a bit early for them to get there. Yeah. People that have got kids and want to go, it's a little bit late. We're on a school night. It's just it's just not ideal for the for the one game. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about nearly 7,000 tickets. There are still people that are worried about COVID as well. So it, it's all into the mix, along with the fact that people have been a bit disillusioned. Today, I think, may have changed that a bit, but I think you need more than just one game of it for people to change their minds. What do you make of the theory that um, the the rumours of Roy's announcement of leaving are going to come on Tuesday of give it uh, a to-do with trying to sell more tickets? Yeah, um, I don't know if it's about to sell more tickets, but I think it's... I saw it written on, on Twitter a few times, and I kind of I kind of agree with it. The idea that... You know, if this is Roy's last game as, you know, sorry, last season as a, certainly as Palace manager, if not as a manager entirely, the idea that the fans are back in the stadium and, and trying to give him a send-off, I think is a nice idea. Um, what send-off he'll get, I'm not so sure, especially if it's a, a terrible match and we get beaten. But I think the idea is nice to sort of, you know, you know, 73 years old and, and, and managed us for four years and it is the end. I think that might be a reason to announce it. I, personally, I'll, I'll be quite surprised, but, um, you know, Roy himself has said at the end of the season and we're not quite there yet. Um, but there we go. It, it is what it is, isn't it? And um, I don't think it's about tickets. I think it's potentially about trying to do the right thing for the manager. But um, people will have different views on whether that's the case or not. But anyway, we shall leave that there, other than to say, um, I suppose, probably just a quick round of predictions. You know, we're not going to be sure too much what the teams will be. Um, We know Arsenal can be a very dangerous side. We know the style that they're going to play will be possession-based, and we don't necessarily do tremendously well against that because we're not really a counter-attacking side anymore. So it'll be, you know, one of those games where I think we'll be surrendering a lot of the ball. We just got to hope we get those those same attacking players that made the difference in the second half against Villa, get them on the ball. Um, and maybe we can get something out of the game. But I think, you know, my gut says the points today are our last points of the season. But, um, you know, hey, hope I'm wrong. But predictions, guys. Mike, what's your score prediction for that game? Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I, I know people, Arsenal's a bit of a laughing stock at the moment, mainly because of the Villarreal results. But they actually have done pretty well in the league recently, uh, including beating Newcastle, obviously they beat West Brom. Um, and they beat Chelsea, although they weren't very convincing. Um, I think they'll be still pushing to get into Europe and they, they can still very much do that. So I think we might be going down. I'm going to go 2-0. Nick? 
Well, I'm hoping having the fans in the stadium has an impact on the team, pretty much like it did when you went to the game against Tottenham because we, we played above ourselves in that game, I think, and I think the support helped that. So I'm hoping that will make an impact. Also, if Tompkins is back in defence um, and we, we don't have a wayward Kuate in defence, it, it could make a difference. So I'm looking at two all because we're their bogey team. Mm. Okay, like it. Patrick, how about yourself? Um, well, we've drawn four of the last five against Arsenal. It's Roy's farewell. I'm going for another draw, but I'm going to go for a, an exciting 3-3. Three, three. Wow, oh. those last two predictions are pretty interesting. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go 3-0 go th- Arsenal, absolute mauling and, you know... Could have been, could be more. We'll be thinking at the end of it. <laughs> got to keep with my season season long positivity, haven't I? You were you were so much positive before you got a girlfriend, Chris. What's happened? <laughs> wow, Ouch. wow. Don't know what don't know what to do with that. And um, yeah, um, yeah. Thanks for that. So um, we do have plenty more questions in from listeners, but a lot of them were about the the manager chat. So Barry Martininski, uh, Kester Lovelace, Andy Hode, and the many many others. We're going to save that for the end of season podcast. Uh, but do you know? Obviously, huge appreciation to all of you who did ask questions on that subject, Mike. Yeah, I just want to give a, a quick word about the end of season pod. So we've got one more preview pod uh, before before the last game of the season. Then we're going to amass who we can. We're going to go through our players of the season um, and various other things. So we'll, we'll go over the manager then. Um, we'll, we'll try and get a bumper pub. We'll get as many people as we can involved. Uh, I know, I know, Hambo, you're on holiday, aren't you? But I'll try and get some mm-hmm. uh, some interesting, amusing people and Albert involved. I mean, you've got. I suppose you've got to throw Albert a bone there, haven't you? Yep. Okay. Well, that is your lot for today. Thank you, obviously, to Mike, to Patrick and to Nick for joining me today. Thank you for listening. And and obviously, especially those of you who got in touch, whether we used your message or not. Do like, follow, subscribe on all of our social accounts. And as Mike has been saying, uh, well, the preview team are back in the week to look ahead to Sunday's game against Liverpool and also look back at the game against Arsenal that we've just looked ahead to. Um, of course and then after the Liverpool game we'll follow with our final podcast of the season so until next time come on you Palace Back of the Nest Review Show sponsored by PitchDMM.com It's the 90th minute all your mates around you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget snatching all three points perfect Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.